morning. Today is Family Sunday. So, we only have nursery, so we're glad to have our children with us this morning. And, uh, you know, just want to say an encouragement to the kids and also the parents, uh, don't uh, despise these moments. They can sometimes feel a little crazy, but I'll never forget uh, passing notes to Grandma, when's lunch, where are we going? And it was always Perkins on Route 11. We're going to Perkins on Route 11. And she's like thinking, I can't ever listen to the message because of this little rug rat. And somehow in the midst of all that, uh, God grabbed a hold of me hearing the preach word. Uh, and me not paying attention, it seemed like it's a royal waste of time. Parents, children, this is a time where God's going to speak to you. And he's going to use these moments. And he's going to do it while we're together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Matthew 26, 6-13. Let's open up. I'm going to try to dive right in this morning. Matthew 26, verses 6-13. As we said last week, Jesus knows and He continues to make known that He will suffer and die. Remember where we are in this uh, series. We're in Matthew 26. These are the passion narratives and the imminency of Christ's suffering and death has come upon us. He's going to suffer. He's going to die by crucifixion. And as we said last week, all this is according to God's plan. This is not a surprise. This is not a mistake. God is sovereignly at work in this moment in redemptive history. And so we turn to Matthew 26, 6-13, and we see, how does God's plan to save us from our sins continue to unfold in this passage? Listen to what Matthew says, verses 6 to 13 in chapter 26. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my head, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done, will also be told in memory of her. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you'd speak to us. We need to hear from you. We understand that we cannot live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Please feed us today. Nourish us in spirit. Remind us of the good news and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And strengthen us for all that you would call us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is heading to the cross. And at this moment, in this particular passage, we see that he is in Bethany. If you know anything about the area, Bethany is just on the other side of the city of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley about two miles away. Now my house is about two miles away. So imagine we're here standing on top of a mountain 
and we're looking across to my house, about two miles that way, in this big valley. That's the kind of distance that Jesus is in reference to the city, the very city in which he will go to and suffer and die. We hear that he's in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So here he is again, most likely in the home of someone that had experienced his transforming power and mercy, no, most likely no longer a leper, but just to distinguish him from any other Simon, this is the Simon that at some point experienced the mercy and the power of Jesus, most likely been healed from his leprosy. Jesus continues to be with people who were broken and yet transformed, continuing to minister and to be with folks just like that. And so we're told by Matthew that as he's in Bethany at this uh, Uh, at Simon the leper's house, that a woman approaches him with an alabaster flask of expensive perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Interesting. Well, first of all, we have to understand that this alabaster flask of expensive perfume was a precious possession of great monetary value. We get this specifically from John 12. Most likely this is the same passage uh, as Jesus is approaching uh, uh, the Passion as well in, in John's Gospel. This is most likely Mary, who had just witnessed the resurrection of her brother Lazarus. And we understand from John 12 that the, the value of this is 300 denarii. Now, a denarii, denarii was... Um, one day's wage. So 300 days wages. But if you just pause for a moment and just do like one of those present value kind of calculations, right? Present value of 300 denarii in this time would be like 13,000 US dollars today. We got issues? What's up? Really? Switch it is. Is this better? I'm going like Eminem now, right? Everybody, anyway. All right, so, so John 12 clarifies for us, it's like 300 denarii. Present value, 13,000 US dollars. But again, if we're going by a day's wage, at uh, minimum wage, 40 hours a week, that'd be $32,000 in the state of New York. Or if you're going by the average annual wage of someone in the United States would be like $54,000. How much is it worth? In some ways, we don't really know, except for 300 denarii. How do we translate that to what it would be for us in this time? We don't really know. What we do know is this. This is a precious possession of great monetary value. This was worth a lot. That's what we know. It's worth a lot of money. And what does she do with this precious possession, with this alabaster flask of oil? She pours it on Jesus' head while he's eating dinner. Now, I don't know about you, but if anybody came up to me while I was eating dinner and poured this huge flask of oil on top of my head, I might think that that was a little root. Anybody else follow me this morning? Like, that's not cool. I'm trying to enjoy my meal with my friends, and somebody's pouring oil all over my head. Not cool. 
I would think to myself, this person is dishonoring me. This person is mistreating me. But understand this. In this culture, it is the exact opposite. It was a way to honor a guest to pour oil on the head. It was a way to say, to treat someone with respect. It was a normal way of receiving a, and blessing a house guest in your home. This is going to be challenging with the microphone here. And so this woman is saying that she values Jesus, that she is honoring Jesus at great personal cost. She is showing honor to Jesus. This was a voluntary, free act of costly devotion to someone that she loved and held in honor. That's what was taking place in this moment. It may seem bizarre to us. It may actually seem like she was mistreating Jesus, but actually she was showing in a voluntary way as a free act of devotion at great personal cost, showing how much she loved him, how much she honored him. It's important to note that there was no command for her to do this. No scripture that said, if someone ever comes to your house, dump oil on their head at great cost. No, this was free. This was voluntary. This was just her showing her love, affection, and devotion to Jesus Christ. But not everybody is seeing it this way. Right? Uh, we see verses 8 and 9 that the disciples see this and they are indignant. They say, why this waste? This could have been sold. This had such value, it could have been sold and it could have been given away to the poor. What a waste. What a missed opportunity we have here. We could have given away 3,600 loaves of bread. We could have supported four under-resourced families for 75 days. What a waste. What a missed opportunity. That's what we could have done. Matter of fact, we should have done that. You see, the disciples are not unaware of what the expectation was on the people of God with people in need. Deuteronomy 15.11 was clear. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. They knew Psalm 41.1. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. They knew Proverbs 28.27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but the one who hides his eyes will get many a curse. You see, it was good for the people of God to be aware of the poor in their midst. It was expected of the people of God to live simply and to live generously in such a way that no one's need was unseen and uncared for and unmet. And so 
luxury was looked down upon. And so they look at this action, and they see such possibility. They see such opportunity, and they see luxury, and they see her act as a waste, as a wrong. This is a bad thing that has happened. But Jesus, as we understand, sees it quite differently. Look at verses 10 through 13, starting with verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. Such a different evaluation. You see, in this moment, Jesus and the disciples, they're making a value judgment. As far as the disciples are concerned, this was a waste. This was a missed opportunity. This was a bad thing. And yet Jesus says something so different. This was a beautiful thing. This was a good thing. That word can be translated beautiful, but could also be translated good. Good. This was a good thing. This was beautiful. And as I understand the word in the background, it also denotes an act that is simply pleasing to the Lord. Jesus is saying, don't misinterpret this act. Don't miscalculate what she's done. Let me correct you, disciples. Once again, you're, you're missing the point. Once again, you're missing the moment. Don't miss it. This is a beautiful thing. This is a good thing. It's an act that pleases me. They're making value judgments. Jesus is saying, you're wrong, disciples. This is not a waste. This is a good thing. This is a beautiful thing that she's done for me. I am pleased. So Jesus affirms this woman's act as a beautiful act. It's a good act. Not only does he affirm it as a, a beautiful act, he affirms it as a timely act. Look at what he says in verse 11. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. You always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. He's saying, listen, what she's done is good and beautiful because it's timely. It's time sensitive. Unlike you, disciples, she understands in some way, shape, or form all that is taking place right here, right now. He says, You'll always have the poor with you, but you'll not always have me. Now, some have read that, and they've said, oh, Jesus is basically kicking to the curb the responsibility to give to the poor. Like, Jesus is basically saying, hey, you're always going to have to deal with those people, but you won't always have me. Please understand, that is not what Jesus is saying at all. Matter of fact, the way he's saying it, as a direct quote from Deuteronomy 15, he's actually reinforcing the God-given responsibility for his people to live simply, to live generously, and in a way that is consistently caring for the needs of the poor. He is reinforcing that responsibility here. He's not kicking it to the curb. He's reinforcing that responsibility. 
God's people always have a responsibility to care for the poor and those in need in every age. That includes now, Renovation Church. Suburban saints who easily can find themselves living in affluence, hear what Timothy says. Hear what Paul says to Timothy, I should say. As for the rich in this present age, by the way, that's us. Well, I'm not rich. You're living in the top 2% wealthiest people in the world. You're rich. Whoa. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. There's that word. She's done a beautiful thing, a good thing. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. There it is again. Beautiful. Good. They're to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. This responsibility of God's people to be aware of the poor and constantly seeking ways out of the simplicity of their life and out of the generosity that they have in response to the gospel of Jesus to just be sharing with those in needs. And I'll tell you what, as I understand this congregation, as you know the needs of one another, I've seen time and time again, you continue to love each other in those kinds of ways. Out of the simplicity of your life and out of the generosity of your heart, You have shown yourself to support each other, to give and support the ministry of this church, to give and support the ministry of church planting in the world. You continue to grow in your generosity as we've seen this year. This shows that you're living simply. This shows that you're living generously. That's our calling as the people of God. But there is a uniqueness to this moment in redemptive history. That's what Jesus is saying. You always have the poor, but you won't always have me. There's a uniqueness to this moment in redemptive history. He's saying you'll always have that responsibility, but in this moment, my suffering and death is imminent, and I won't be here with you much longer. So what she's done is time-sensitive. It's timely. It's in keeping with the unique moment. I won't always be here with you. He's talking about his soon and imminent suffering, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. In this moment, it's beautiful and it's good. It's not a waste. It's timely. But not only that, a preparatory act. Jesus affirms the woman's devotion as a preparatory act. Verse 12, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. For burial. She's preparing him for burial. She's anointing Jesus for burial. It's interesting. I didn't realize this, but in studying this passage, came to realize that, uh, that, that a nice, outstanding citizen who would have died, there would be preparation involved. There would be an expensive incense and perfumes and ointments that would be applied in the burial of that person. But common criminals who died, especially the death of a cross, would simply be heaped into a common pit, which would be filled up and then covered with dirt. For criminals, this anointing prior to burial would not happen. So Jesus 
understanding. And as he's communicating, I'm going to suffer and die by crucifixion. He was revealing that I'm about to be condemned as a criminal. My body will not undergo the preparation that a typical criminal or that a typical citizen would receive. And so what's happening in this moment is that in a beautiful, timely fashion, this woman, as she expresses her love of Christ and honoring Christ, is preparing him for his burial. The Lord is using her act of devotion to prepare him for burial. Just think about that for a minute. We talked last week about God is sovereignly at work, even in the midst of the plotting of evil men, orchestrating events to bring about his plan, to bring about his will to save people from sin. And now we see not just the plots of wicked leaders and authorities, but we see God at work in the simplest, in somebody's private active devotion of a woman in a little village called Bethany. God's at work, and he's using this woman's active devotion to prepare Jesus for his burial. It's timely. It's preparatory. And as we see verse 13, not only that, it is a memorable act. Jesus is affirming this woman's devotion as a memorable act. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow. He doubles down here. This action on her part is so beautiful. It's so good. It's going to be connected to the most beautiful, the most glorious, the most good act preached in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This act, which seems to be such a waste to you disciples, such a missed opportunity, this act of sincere devotion is one, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, whenever the good news about Jesus is proclaimed from here to North Syracuse, New York, this act is going to be remembered. You know why? Because above all else, this act puts on display and proclaims. It is a wonderful demonstration of this truth. That there is nothing of greater value and worth than Jesus Christ. There is nothing of greater value and worth than Jesus Christ. Who he is and what Jesus has accomplished for sinners. This act proclaims, displays, manifests, gives visual for people like you and I that there is nothing of greater value and worth than Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he has done, what he's about to do in the narratives forthcoming. Her action says... Jesus is well worth our devotion. I want you to hear that today. 
even as he approaches the cross, even as he's rejected by the world, Jesus is well worth our devotion. He is not a waste. That's what this woman is telling us today. Jared C. Wilson says, the breaking of the expensive gift, it's pouring out over all, the te- all over the teacher, was not a waste because he was more valuable than it. All gifts are wasted if they don't adorn the giver. All precious gifts must adorn the most precious gift of the precious giver himself or they cease to have value. Man, not a waste. It was worth it. Because to whom it was given and to whom it prepared for God's will to be accomplished. I love what Ligon Duncan says, and I think this brings it all together. You'll never waste anything on Jesus Christ. You'll never waste anything on Jesus Christ. Not your time, not your strength, not your life. It will never be wasted on the Lord Jesus Christ. No gift is too great in response to such a love as his. And is that not what has done in her life? She's just responding to love. She came to know this about Jesus. She said, what is the most precious thing that I have? I want to give it to Jesus. I want to entrust it to Jesus. This is no one more worthy of it than him. She had come to know that through interacting with Jesus, through experiencing his power, the raising of her brother that she loved so dearly. She knew who Jesus was. Do you know who he is today? Do you see his infinite value and worth? Is there anything more valuable to you than Christ himself? Are you holding dear to some prized possession in your life that you've not entrusted to Christ as the most valuable to be treasured thing, person to know, to have? This woman, she came to know that love. She received it. She was transformed by it. She treasured Jesus, most valuable, most precious. And she now, in this moment, expresses that love in such a way to prepare him for his burial. Friends, this is a call upon us. In reading this, this is a call upon us to see and act in response to the incomparable worth of Jesus Christ. You see, the world looks at us And even that statement, hears that statement and looks at our lives and says, you're wasting your life on religion. You're wasting your life on Jesus. You're wasting all the opportunities financially and with time. You're wasting it. Look at what the world offers you and you're doing that? The world may conclude that religion, Christianity, even Jesus, is a waste of your time. But this woman is saying, he's well worth it. He's well worth your devotion. Just think of the affirmation 
that she received from her Lord. Just think of that. Jesus doesn't criticize her. Jesus affirms her. This is a call to see and act in response to the incomparable value of Jesus Christ. Jesus is well worth our devotion. It's also such an encouragement for those who live simply, for those who live generously, those who are radical in their service to Jesus and his work in this world. And again, the world may look at how we live and what we do with our time and money and our relationships and the things that we don't do. They may look at us and say, what a waste. Maybe even in your own mind and heart, these are the kinds of things that you wrestle with. Is all this really worth it? Maybe you're investing in someone that's just like getting under your skin or something. You're like, it's, you're not seeing the progress that you want to see. Maybe you're not sure if Jesus is really in this, and you wonder, is this worth the time investment? You seek to make disciples, but in response, but you don't see the worth of it. You don't see the value. Maybe you're mentoring someone and, and you just don't see the value. Where's God in all this? Where's the good in all this? Maybe you're giving thousands of dollars to your local church and you're like, what is really happening with that? What missed opportunities am I, do I have because I'm, because I'm giving sacrificially? Maybe every single Sunday, the church service was okay. The preacher was all right. It wasn't that great. Imagine what we could have been doing with the 90 minutes of our time, week in and week out. You may conclude, what a waste of time this is. Maybe you're in kids' ministry, week in and week out, and you wonder, as, as kids may or may not be paying attention in your own mind as you watch, and you wonder, what is the point of all this? What are we doing here? As we as parents sit at our table and read a catechism to them while food's flying across the room and somebody got punched, like, what is the point of all this? Is this really worth it? As we express our faith and devotion to Jesus, it's easy for us to wonder, is it worth it from a human perspective? And the world can look at us and go, you're wasting your time. It's not worth it. Religion's not worth it. Christianity's not worth it. Investing in people, it's not worth it. Going to church is not worth it. Giving your money is not worth it. There can be all these missed opportunities that you have in this world, but what the woman is showing us today, and Jesus is affirming that Jesus is well worth it. Jesus is well worth our free, voluntary, sacrificial uh, uh, um, response to his love kinds of acts of devotion. He's well worth it. And I even think of the joy that we have and the hope that we have as we live faithfully and sacrificially and simply now, there will be a day that we will stand before Jesus resurrected, glorified. And in the midst of all the waste that the world sees it from our lives, what will he say to us? Well done. Good. Good. 
beautiful, good. Well done, good and faithful servant. One day in all eternity, we'll look at Jesus and all of our alabaster flasks poured out, all of our precious possessions sacrificially given up, all for Jesus. It's going to be worth it. Amen? It's all worth it. It's not a waste. Hear that affirmation from Christ today. It's all worth it. It's not a waste. Jesus is well worth our devotion. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this sweet story. Beautiful story that reminds us of something we need to hear more often. That everything is rubbish in comparison to the surpassing value of just knowing Jesus is Lord. Lord, if there's anybody here today that has never seen Jesus in this way, never embraced Him by faith, I pray right now that Your Spirit would be at work, that they would see His value, they would experience His mercy, they would know His love, and they would trust in Him and Him alone for salvation from sin. I pray that they would see who You are and what You've done as the most valuable thing there is. And I pray for all of us here, saints, that have maybe forgotten. I pray that You would bring about repentance and that we would turn again in trust of You and that we would look to live lives of simplicity and generosity so that You would be seen as most valuable and so that our hope would be in heaven, not this earth. Lord, we pray that You would be worshipped, seen as worthy because of all you've done for us. All praise and glory be to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This time